Open up your Bibles today to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 33. Before we begin our sermon today, uh, today is um, two people's last day with us. They're moving away, and we're very sad about that, but we wish them all the best, and we'll be praying for them. Rick and Linda Johnson, where are you at? Rick and Linda, will you stand up? They're moving to Old Town, which is, I guess, a new town for Rick, but an old town for <laughs> Linda. It's actually called O-Town, Florida. So that's okay. I think Bradenton's better, but that's what, what I'm going to do. That's okay. I can't convince you? You can't stay? All right, whatever. Whatever. Let's, Rick, Rick has been a deacon in our church for many years, and, uh, but him and his new bride, Linda, are going uh, to North Florida, where they're going to be moving. So make sure you say goodbye to Rick and Linda today. And uh, sorry if I sound disappointed, uh, but we love you too, and we miss you, and we'll miss you. And thank you for all your service here, Rick, to our church family, and uh, we love and appreciate you very, very much. Amen? Amen. God bless you. All right. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we love you. We love your word. We want to be people of this book. Help us, Lord, to stick with it. Not just to say that we believe it, but to actually believe it. To practice what's in this book. May your word root down deep into our hearts. And may what is left behind grow into a deep love of Christ as we are sanctified and washed by this word. Oh God, help us. Now as we conclude Acts chapter 20, Lord, help us in this beautiful word. In your name, amen. We've been in Acts chapter 20 for several weeks. Uh, we're almost 60 sermons into the book of Acts, and we're finishing 20 chapters, so do the math. I'm not very good at math, but I think that's an average of three sermons per chapter. So there's about eight chapters left or seven chapters left after this. So do the math there as well, approximately. But we're taking our time. And our, our motto here at Northwest Baptist is just to preach the next verse. Amen? <laughs> preach the next verse. And so that's what we're going to do. That's what we always do. We're going to preach the next verse. Um, We've been seeing in Acts chapter 20, in this section specifically, the Apostle Paul is in a town called Miletus, and he has invited the elders from Ephesus to meet with him there. Elders is another word for pastors, so uh, the pastors of the church in Ephesus, uh, there's always more than one elder in any given church in the New Testament. You'll never find one elder in any one church. It's always a plurality of elders, very important. So the elders come, and what Paul has been telling them, he's been encouraging them and charging them because he's no longer going to see them anymore. This is the last time he's going to be with them, and he even says, this will be the last time you're going to see my face. And so what has he said to them? He's encouraged them to take care of their own lives first so that they can care for God's people well. He's told them to follow his example of faithfulness and humility in pers in, in, through persecution and ministry. He's challenged them to preach the whole counsel of God, 
telling people the whole truth, no matter who it offends or who it hurts, because the truth is what saves. And he's told them to warn and to protect God's people from danger. And specifically, that danger is false teachers and false doctrine. Why? Because God's church is precious. It has been purchased by his own blood. And that's what we looked at last week. We saw that a pastor's job is to protect the people in his church from false teachers and from false doctrine. And if you were not here last week and did not get the email, uh, by the way, we know how we, we get a report of how many people open our emails and only about 50% open our emails. So that means either we don't have your right email or it's going to junk or spam or you just ignore us. So one or the other, make sure we have your right email because we send out some very important things. Go to the Welcome Center, fill out a card, give us your new email. If you're not getting our emails, make sure, okay? If not, check your spam folder. But anyway, last week we sent out and we printed for you and some are available in the hallway in the Welcome Center, uh, a list of false teachers that I wanted to warn you about and, and, and protect you from, and so you could be aware of who they are and the different things that they teach. So if you didn't get that last week, make sure you check that out. So we've taken the, our time in this passage. We probably are four sermons deep in Paul's farewell address to these elders. Um, it, very important stuff he, he teaches and tells them here. And he tells them uh, not only who elders are, but what elders do. And today in verse 33, we're going to see his last thing he tells them. And his final admonition to these pastors has to do with integrity in regard with money. Integrity in regard with money. And although this is addressed to elders here, and I know some of you are thinking, I'm not a pastor, I'm checking out for the next 45 minutes. No, all of this is applicable to all of us because this is a challenge and a trap that all people could fall in. But most certainly elders, and this is what he's warning them here. Look at verse 33. Paul tells them, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul mentions here the sin of covetousness. Covetousness, or to covet, is to greatly lust. That's a burning desire. After something that is not yours. So, so that you become ungrateful with who you are or what you have. And ultimately, that is a sin against God. That's what to covet means. It's, it's to want something that you don't have, and it burns inside you and consumes you. So that you are ungrateful with who you are or what you have. I mean, we could do this with just about anything, right? We, you see someone has a nice car or they have a nice home or they dress better than you or, or, or whatever. Maybe, maybe someone has been blessed with a spouse and, uh, or, or whatever or maybe even children. There's a, so many things we can covet, right? So many things we could covet so that we become ungrateful with how God has blessed us. And we lose sight of the fact of how good God has been to us, right? So this is the sin of covetousness. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Number 10, in fact. This is what Paul, this is Paul, this is what Moses wrote and as God told him on Mount Sinai and gave him the law. The Tenth Commandment is what? You shall not covet 
your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Right? This, because why? Because this covetousness, this lust after things I don't have is really idolatry in a form. It's to worship what I don't have and to be uh, ungrateful for what I do have. And the Bible has taught us and God's people are to be content no matter what lot they find themselves in. Whether you're rich or poor or single or married, we find our contentment in God, not in things. Amen? Right? And, and actually, those typically, typically, those who have the most are the most miserable. Have you seen that? If not, just take a look through Hollywood and you'll see a lot of miserableness throughout their lives. So to covet is to lust, it's this burning desire which consumes us because it does not let us be grateful for God's blessings that God has given to us. And so we wind up blaming God. We, we doubt God's goodness or faithfulness because I don't have that or this or, or the following. Uh, Jesus even says this to his disciples as he sends them out. He he encourages them here in Luke 12, 15. He says to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Right? What you own does not determine your worth. Your worth is determined in God alone. So you could be the poorest beggar in India and be just as valuable as the richest celebrity anywhere on the world. Your wealth does not come from things, but God. And Jesus is warning his disciples here in Luke chapter 12. You're going to go, you're going to see lots of things, but guard your heart from what? covetousness because the moment you start seeing how other people live and you start questioning what you do and don't have it will be the biggest trap you fall in into your ministry or life it takes your eyes off of God it takes your focus off of the Lord and the mission and so it's the 10th commandment Jesus told his disciples guard against it guard against it and this is what Paul is saying while I was with you I was with you for three years. I did not covet, and what did he not covet? Silver or gold or apparel. Paul went into Ephesus to serve the Lord, and he had without. He depended on two things. One, the generosity of the churches to take care of his needs. And secondly, he relied upon his tent-making trade. Paul was a tent-maker, a leather-worker. And so he supported himself and he also received help from the churches and the people that he was ministering unto. But in doing so, he did not covet. Paul did not have a lot. Paul was not wealthy. He was not blown into town on his private jet and all that, you know, all that. No, he went to serve Christ. 
And by the way, having nice things, being rich, having fun, fancy stuff is not sinful. It's not sinful. It's not sinful to have a lot. Praise God, God has blessed you with that. Of course, that could turn into a sin as you idolize those things. We must guard our heart, even over the things that we do have, right? I've got the latest this. I've got the latest that. Paul says, when I was there, I did not covet silver or gold or apparel. Paul is not saying that to make himself look good. Hey, guys, look at me. Be like me. He's just giving them an example. Because now you guys, if you're going to be successful here after I leave, you must guard your heart. And the number one thing that you must guard your heart over is covetousness. You cannot become an elder and be lost in this sin. You can't. In fact, some people think they be, can become an elder, can become a pastor or an evangelist so that they can be rich. And he's saying, if that's what you're doing this for, get out. Get out now. Do not look at what other people have and think that being an elder is a way to get it. No. In fact, Paul tells young Timothy, his son in the faith, in one of the pastoral epistles, as Paul is training Timothy of how to be a pastor and how to train pastors, Paul tells Timothy the qualifications of who elders are. We'll just read a couple of verses here. Therefore, an overseer, that's the word for elder and uh, pastor. It's another word that's used there. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. And listen to this, not a lover of money. If you're going to love money, then don't become an elder. Don't become a pastor. Because if you are a lover of money, you have just disqualified yourself from that office. And I think we are, I don't even need to talk much about this because you hear about this all the time in the news, don't you? Pastors who have to leave the ministry or resign or quit their job because of money. Integrity in money or integrity with their sexual deviancy. This is what Paul is trying to warn these elders here. A lover of money is, a, is, a, is to covet. And how much is enough? It's never enough, isn't it? Right? And maybe you've been there. Maybe as you're making your family budget and at one time you're like, man, if only I had another dollar raise, we'd be good. Then you get that dollar raise and what happens? You spend that dollar and then you're like, well, if I only had like $2 more, then, then we could really do some good things. And then what happens? You get the $2 and then what happens? You need more. Because our hearts, like John Calvin says, is a perpetual factory of idols. That's the number one thing that you and I are good at. It's idolatry. We will always find something or someone to worship other than God. That's how we were born. And that's why we must be born again. A lover of money is a coveter of money. 
someone who idolizes being rich, or someone who covets other things. This is a disqualification. Paul is saying, when I was with you, I hope my example to you was seen that I was not a coveter of these things. I was not a lover of money. Of course, even in Paul's day, even in Paul's day, this, these things happened. You had people trying to capitalize and profit over religion, over, over scripture, over miracles. You, you had this all the way in the first century. This is not a modern thing. Televangelist scandals are not new, except the tele, telepart. Evangelist scandals are not new. In fact, Peter says to his readers something similar. As he, Peter writes to the elders that he was writing to, he says in 1 Peter 5 two, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, don't be a dictator, but willingly as God would have you. And what does Peter tell his elders there? Not for shameful gain. Don't you be a pastor to profit off of God's people. That's shameful, shameful gain. Money is a quick trap to fall into because it's the way to satisfy and to bring all our idols to us, isn't it? If we have that, we can buy this, we can get that, we can make that, that will make me happy. I finally have those designer jeans I wanted, I finally have the new Jordans, I have the new iPhone, uh, all these different things that we could say and covet. Again, all those things are not wrong. Having those things are not wrong. But the coveting and the idolizing and the burning lust in your heart over jealousy of things that are not yours and not satisfaction, what God has given you is. Paul tells Timothy again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. Live for the Lord, be godly, and be happy. Be content with what you've been blessed with. Why? For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of this world. Now, it's funny because I read this verse this week and I'm like, that's where my parents got that phrase. I brought you in this world and I could take you out. <laughs> but, but I think they misquoted that. So... Why should we be content with godliness? Why? We were born with nothing and we will die with nothing. You can't take anything with you after you're gone. I think it was Matt Chandler who said once that we, we throw away gobs of money and gobs of time and gobs of affection for stuff that will just be products of future garage sales. It's like drinking sand and expecting to have your thirst quenched. Hmm. We brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. 
Oh, if you have clothes and food, consider yourself blessed. But those, verse 9, who desire, and here's this desire, this coveting, this coveting, this lusting, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. There's the trap. It's not the trap of having it. It's the trap of desiring it when God hasn't given it to you. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's an often misquoted verse, right? Because people like to say money is the root of all evil. No, no, no. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. All this covetousness has led to shipwreck the faith of many. Later on, Paul even mentions one man. His name is Demas. What do we know about Demas? Not much, but we know this thing. Paul writes, Demas has forsaken me, having been in love with this present world. Hmm. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this, keep your life from Love of money. This is all over the scriptures. Are you seeing this? Keep yourself from the love of money. Not money. The love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. What's his point there? You can be content with what you have because what the truth that will never change, what someone can never take away from you is Christ. Jesus plus whatever you have will always be enough, whether it is much or little, because your heart will always want more. But in Christ is where true satisfaction is found. Again, he's talking to elders here, but, but this is for everyone, really. But for elders, this is a disqualification for being an elder if you have a love of money. And unfortunately, what we see in today's world is way too many pastors and preachers and evangelists that obviously their love of money is, is evident. In fact, let me show you something else. I just love to go all over the Bible to show you where these things are spoken of in context everywhere, okay? The love of money is one of the marks of a false teacher. Now, that doesn't mean you have to, you have, to have money to be a false teacher. Now, you could be a poor and be a false teacher, right? But the love of money, right? The, the abuse of money and the abuse of your role and responsibility to shepherd God's people is a mark of being a false teacher. And, and in the Old Testament, let's go to the Old Testament, Ezekiel, this is fascinating. God had given Israel, 
In this context, it's the nation of Judah. Remember, Israel was split in two. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Southern kingdom is Judah. God had given Judah priests and prophets and kings. These are the leaders of the people. The priests were to go and to make sacrifice and help the people worship God and to bring them close to God through how the way God had ordained. But the priests during, these, during this day were wicked. They lived for themselves. They fed themselves. They starved the people. They brought idols into the temple. They served themselves rather than the people. God gave prophets. What did the prophets do in Ezekiel's day? Some people said, thus says the Lord, and they lied. God didn't tell them anything. And they manipulated people by saying, this is what God said. And they cried for peace, peace, where there is no peace. God says, judgment is coming. And these prophets said, no, everything's at peace. Just keep living your life. And God's saying, I'm sending judgment unless you repent. And the prophets lied to them. False teachers. And the king's job was to rule the nation according to the law of God. And of course, we saw the many, many wicked kings in Israel and Judah in that day. But in Ezekiel 34, I may have put the wrong verse up there, Joe. Ezekiel 34, this is what God says to Ezekiel about the shepherds. And he uses the word shepherd to be an analogy for the leaders. Who are the leaders? The prophets, the priests, and the king. This is what he says in verse 1 of Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That's the leaders. And say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The kings, the prophets, the priests, they were all tasked by God to take care of the people, and they failed. Why? They were take care of themselves. Number four, the weak you, would, you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beast. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds 
And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. What happens at the result of false teaching and leaders taking care of themselves selfishly? God's people suffer. False teaching is poison. And as a result, the nations of Israel and Judah failed to serve the Lord. They went away from the Lord. Why? Because their prophets and priests and kings did. Now, that doesn't mean that there were some good prophets in there, like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. But the ones that God had tasked destroyed the nation with their false teaching and their covetousness and their greed. And God says, enough's enough. And what does he do? He judges the nation, destroys Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and brings judgment on those evil people. Should we call out false teachers? Yeah. Yes, we should. Why? Because they are hurting God's people. Jeremiah, along the same, the same time, he's a contemporary of Ezekiel and Isaiah, around that same time, Jeremiah says this about the same people. Jeremiah 6, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at that time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Yet God hates false teachers. Why? Because they scavenge his people. They, they scavenger his people. They abuse his people. They neglect his people again and again and again. Every pastor, every preacher of God's word will have to stand before God and give an account. And that terrifies me. That terrifies me. Wow. But what is the sin of the shepherds of Israel? Greed. Coveting. We want more. We want more. This is what Paul is saying. I did not covet when I was here. You better follow my example, and I hope you guys don't either. Paul tells to Titus 111 about the false teachers, the circumcision party of Titus's day. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. These people are going in there teaching false doctrine for, and what's their motive? Shameful gain. Just send me your money and I'll tell you what you want to hear. It happens today, doesn't it? it? Happens today. And what does Paul tell Titus? They must be silenced. Shut them up. Shut them up. So Paul says, yeah. Yeah. 
Don't be like them. Don't be like them. If you're going to be an elder, you cannot be a lover of money. Not, cannot be a coveter of money. Look at verse 34 of Acts chapter 20. Paul says, You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. Paul says, I didn't come into Ephesus and demand you pay me a certain amount of money. Right? You didn't, you didn't ever hear that from me. I didn't come here for your money. I came here to tell you about Jesus. And the Lord took care of my needs. How did he do that? By giving me this ability to make tents. And you guys also took care of me. I'm grateful for that. But you got to follow my example. Not one time did I covet over what you had or over what I didn't have. I wasn't a lover of money. And neither can you either be like that, Ephesian elders. I worked hard. I took care of what I needed. And whatever the Lord provided through you, I was grateful for that. And that's the thing. That's the thing there. Now, you might be wondering, well, is Paul telling them here that elders should not receive compensation or should not, that elders should just, you know, all just provide for themselves? No, that's not what he's saying. The context here is don't be a lover of money. In fact, because he tells in at least two other places here that you should compensate the elders. For example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. Paul's not against paying an elder for the work of the ministry. He's against the elders coveting and being greedy and doing this to make themselves rich. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And Paul indeed was supported and helped in all the cities that he went by the churches he served. But never demanding, never demanding, never charging, never saying, I will preach this sermon for X amount of dollars or anything. Hmm. Look at verse 35. Where's Paul getting to with all this coveting thing here? In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you're going to be an elder... 
You have to remember what the Lord Jesus said. Now, this saying of Jesus, this quote of Jesus, is not found in the Gospels. It's apparently something that was passed on around that time that the apostles passed on down to the churches that they heard the Lord say. And we know we don't have everything Jesus said because the end of John 21 tells us that. But Jesus here said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I I think you would all know that, right? Yeah, I'm the worst gift giver known to man. Why? Because I can't keep any secrets. I don't like surprises. I don't like to wait for Christmas for my family to open the gifts that I've given to them. I was like that as a child. I just want to open it now. Right? Why? Because there's so much joy in giving, isn't there? To see the look on their faces when you give them the gift that you have given them because there's love in that there's sacrifice in that whether it's birthdays or not but what he is saying here is that you better treat ministry like that why? because it is more blessed to give than to get and how true that is Last month marked 23 years of me being a pastor. And I found that to be true. I've visited, I've given, I've toiled, I've agonized, I've wept, I've laughed. I've been to jails, to hospitals, I've been to funerals and funeral homes. I've been to psychiatric places. The places I've been. And whenever I leave... I leave with a sense of joy. I leave with a sense of joy. I go to be a blessing to people and then I wind up the one being blessed. I go to serve and, I, and the people who I go to serve wind up serving me. Because serving Christ is fulfilling. This is what Paul is trying to say this. If you can't be an elder... Without having a five-year plan and how much you're going to make, then get out now. Quit now. And unfortunately, there's so many pastors today that just see this as some career path. They'll start at this little church, and then after there for a couple of years, they'll go into a little bigger church, and they'll go to a bigger church after that, and they'll go to a bigger church after that. And they just use the church like a stepping stone forward towards a career. That's sinful. That's sinful. People have asked me, Dan, how long are you going to be here? I don't know. Till the Lord calls me home or the Lord moves me on. I have no idea. I have no plans to go anywhere. I'm not looking for my next stepping stone or the next bullet point on my resume. I'm here, Lord willing, till the day I die. That's how I see things. Unless you get really mad at me. (laughs) One way or another. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, the, the false motivations and the false glory. And then we wonder what is wrong with our churches. What's wrong with our nation. When we have so many... Wolves dressed as sheep. 
when there's so many scandals that emerge, we shouldn't be surprised. It happened in Paul's day, it's happening today, and it'll happen until the Lord returns. This is why Paul is charging them, you guys, if you're going to do this after I leave, you better know why you're doing it. You cannot be a lover of money. You got to guard your heart. And then they say goodbye. Look at verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And then Paul left. Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. And he leaves these Ephesian elders. But what a passage this is. A passage for us to consider, number one, what an elder is, what what an elder ought to be and ought to do, and what an elder's job is, but, but also many of the things that are applicable to elders in this passage are also applicable to everyone. We should all guard our hearts. We should all seek for the whole counsel of God. We should all care for the God's church, which is bought with such a precious price. We should all guard against false teachers and, and care about sound doctrine. And we all need to be careful about our love of money, our covetousness, our idolatry, our desire to have things that, we're, that we don't have, and therefore we're not satisfied with our life. We're not satisfied with who God is. We're not grateful for what God has blessed us with. Yeah, there, there's a lot that we could examine in our hearts, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart even now, maybe even over your covetousness. Maybe the Lord has taught you more about what an elder is by Paul's address here to them. Whatever it is, I know the Lord's going to sanctify you through this word. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you that one day you will have to give an account before God. You will stand before him. And God is not concerned about how much good you have done and how much bad you have done and and like the Tom and Jerry cartoons I watched growing up those are not true if your good works outweigh your bad works and you'll go to heaven no it's not the way it works there's no amount of good works you could do to get in the only thing that matters is that you believe that you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your savior That he is God incarnate. He came to this world to live the life you should have lived. And to die the death you should have died. And because he did that, you don't have to meet that same standard. To satisfy God's wrath upon your life. And because Jesus did die, you don't have to die forever. And because Jesus lived again, you can live as well. This is what the gospel is. Jesus died, buried, was buried, and rose again from the dead. And all those who believe in him can have everlasting life. This is the point of your life. This is why Paul went to Ephesus to tell people this message. 
This is what we continue to tell people today, 2,000 years later. Because that day is coming. We will all stand before God. And the only thing that matters is whether you know Jesus or not. That's it. And if you don't know Jesus, I ask you right now to search your heart. Right now, consider these truths about what you will say to him when you stand before him. If God were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? The only answer is, that is appropriate, is this. I don't deserve to get in. I don't deserve to get in. I have no merit to go in. I have no accolades, nothing. I come here bankrupt. But I come here on the invitation of one who has purchased everything for me to enter. And has brought me near to God. And who has satisfied the holiness and the wrath and the justice of God. Period. The only difference between people in heaven and people in hell. Do you know what it is? The people in hell receive justice. They get what they deserve. The people in heaven don't get what they deserve. It's the only difference. Nobody receives injustice. Nobody can say, that wasn't fair. You either receive justice or mercy. And trust me, mercy is far better. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd love to talk to you more if you want to know more about what that means after the service. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us now. We pray for those in this room that are struggling with the sin of idolatry and the sin of covetousness, of lusting other things and becoming ungrateful for what they have. Lord, I think that's a part of all of us to some degree. But Lord, I know your spirit is working in the hearts of some, maybe in that area. Bring them to repentance. If they're a believer, remind them of the gospel, the forgiveness they have in you. If they're not a believer, Lord, I pray that they would become one today and be saved. Draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit. Finish what you have started before time began. Father, thank you for these messages on who elders are and what elders do and how elders can quickly disqualify themselves from serving his people. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song. God bless you. Have a great week. If I can help you in any way, see me after the service. I'll be out in the Welcome Center area. Make sure you go get the papers that we talked about in the beginning, whether it's the SBC report or false teachers. And make sure we have your email. Very, very important. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you later.